Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, healthcare, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. Now, as we all well know, because we have lived it, the lead benefits story last year was the COVID-19 pandemic and how it impacted workplaces around the world. The foundation focused a lot of its education on this topic last year, watching and educating on how the pandemic impacted retirement, healthcare, and paid leave benefits. In November, we conducted a survey to get a better picture of what's been going on. The survey covers a lot, but in this episode, we will be focusing on four areas. First, benefits that organizations are offering their workers who have child or elder care responsibilities. Second, changes that organizations made to their paid and unpaid leave policies due to the pandemic. Third, insights on expense reimbursement for a remote workforce. And fourth, at the break, we will be discussing what uh, return to the office procedures may look like. And this includes vaccinations. Uh, So let's get started. Yes, we have a lot to cover. For employees turned caregivers due to the pandemic, benefits like subsidies, dependent care FSAs, and resource and referral services for child or elder care became really important offerings. That's right, Anne. And uh, along with these tangible benefits, uh, we found that during the pandemic, employers are offering new levels of workplace flexibility. Far and away, the most common benefit is working from home arrangements, uh, which is offered by 62% of responding organizations. Now, of course, Justin, a large part of that is really related to safety, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for non-essential workers, most workplaces pivoted to remote work And we'll talk about that later in the episode. And uh, aside from that safety aspect, one of the greatest challenges of maintaining productivity through a global pandemic has been working from home when schools or daycare facilities are closed. We found that this new workplace flexibility often includes letting workers change their work hours to accommodate elder care or child care responsibilities, as well as schooling needs. More than half of our survey respondents have let their employers uh, do this. And employers have figured out that letting their employees work when they can, whether it's starting at 6 a.m. or starting at 9 a.m., maybe taking a two to three hour break in the middle of the day to help with schooling and then working until 9 or 10 p.m. works for some employees. It's not ideal and it can be exhausting, but the work gets done. I know I had to pivot my schedule when I was quarantining my one-year-old at home with us and it's not easy, but at least this flexibility allows everything to keep moving. Right, Anne. And I think that employees do appreciate that they can do that. They can keep their job, keep working, and still handle their family needs. Yes. And in the survey, we also found that 12% of employers are providing resources and referrals for childcare, tutoring, or emergency childcare, with an additional 11% considering doing that. So it's on the minds of employers for sure. A small percentage of employers offer access to virtual day camps for school-aged children. We saw articles coming out this summer about that. 
or financial assistance for tutoring and homeschooling. Virtual day camps were kind of what I thought a creative idea. And these day camps offered all sorts of different types of activities. And they were everything from, you know, doing reading together, music or theater or dance or photography or soccer. And then also there were things to help them, uh, children learn about architecture or coding or engineering or math or how to take care of animals or even how to do magic. So a lot of different options. Life skills, magic tricks. (laughs) So elsewhere in our survey, we found that the large majority of responding employers offer dependent care flexible spending accounts or FSAs. Um, And I thought this was an interesting point. Um, 1% of them told us that they had not offered them before the pandemic, but are implementing them in 2020 due to the pandemic. Hmm, That's interesting. And I'll say, I know we have some colleagues at the foundation with school-aged children who have resorted to hiring nannies for a couple hours a week. This is the only way that they figured out, you know, they can get their work done by having somebody else oversee their child's activities and homework, at least for part of the day. So families are doing a lot of different things to get by right now. To figure out what, how, how to get it all done, right? Yeah. So during the pandemic, employees with elder care responsibilities are facing similar challenges to those who have children. Employers are implementing similar flexible work arrangements and resource and referral services. And some are also making available access to things like legal and financial consulting services that are specifically geared to elder care issues. So what I'm hearing is that the main takeaway here uh, is that flexibility is extremely important. And that is uh, particularly in the area of time saving. So this becomes especially important for those who are in the the sandwich generation, which we have uh, referred to in the past. These are caregivers who have responsibilities for both the generation above them and below them. Speaking of time, we wanted to take a quick dive into changes made to paid and unpaid leave due specifically to the pandemic. A theme that we found throughout the survey is that the need for paid and unpaid leave policies are those that reflect the current reality. That's right. So about three in five responding organizations um, have made some sort of change to their leave offerings due to the pandemic. Similar to what we had just talked about, one of the most common changes in 2020 was the introduction of emergency leave for child or elder care. Yes, Justin, the whole flexibility angle is echoed here. In 2020, employers offer this flexibility, allowing paid leave to be used for any reason, offering additional paid holidays or mental health days, or letting employees borrow from not yet earned paid time off. That's right, Anne. And while some employees needed time off and ran out of their paid leave, on the flip side, there are employees who did not use their paid time off. Maybe they had even more work to do than in a normal year, and so they just couldn't take off time. Or maybe they chose not to use any paid time because there was nowhere we could travel, right? We were all at home. So recognizing this, some employers have allowed paid time off to be carried over above and beyond what they might normally allow to be carried over. And uh, perhaps the most high profile initial change brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic was the drastic shift from working in an office environment to working from home. So we wanted to get a sense of uh, the magnitude of that shift uh, in this most recent survey. Our respondents told us that uh, before the pandemic, 
on average, about 13% uh, of their workforce worked remotely. Uh, and this was compared with 50% who were working remotely as of uh, November of last year. And that's definitely a, a big increase. And so one area we were curious about, how were employers handling expenses that their employees were incurring while they were working from home? A small percentage of employers report giving their employees what uh, they and we called a general stipend to uh, pay expenses. About a third of our respondents said that they reimburse for specific items and about half of them told us that they don't reimburse for any expenses. We asked those that reimburse what they paid for. That's a pretty common question that I think a lot of employees are wondering too. Most said office supplies, uh, not surprisingly. I know I've been missing luxurious supplies like whiteouts working from home. <laughs> um, <laughs> others started reimbursing for larger items like office furniture, cell phones, tablets, computers, internet service, or cell phone service when the pandemic began. Thanks, Anne. Uh, we will pause here for a break. And when we return, we'll discuss what a return to the office might look like. The International Foundation has over 31,000 members across the U.S. and Canada from all walks of the work world. And we'd love it if you joined our ranks. Foundation members get a ton of benefits, like access to Foundation community meetup events, helpful articles from Benefits Magazine, and free webcasts on trending topics, just to name a few. See what the foundation can do for you. Visit ifebp.org slash membership today. Before the break, we discussed what employers have been telling us about some of the practices that they're using to overcome challenges of the pandemic. Now it's time to look forward to 2021. One of the key trends that we're tracking is the eventual return to the office. And not a lot has actually been set in stone. Most of the headlines have come from tech companies because they're, they're such trendsetters as we're all aware of. So what do we know so far about what return to work might look like? I think we can break this into three categories. Employers that have already implemented return to work safety protocols and are starting to invite people back employers going remote indefinitely, and employers using a hybrid approach. So in other words, a mix of both. First, let's talk about what some organizations with employees back in the building already are doing to help keep employees safe and healthy. Employers can encourage or require face coverings or other protective gear, limit employee contact in common areas, modify physical workspaces to maintain distancing, and conduct health screenings like temperature checks, symptom screenings, antibody tests, or antigen tests, things that we've been hearing about this whole time for a lot of organizations who have no choice but to have their employees in the office. So Salesforce, they have their employees fill out an online health survey, then they have their temperatures checked, and they need to pass a screening before being allowed back into the office. Another company, for example, Nokia, they have an automated elevator temperature detection solution to spot COVID-19 infections in their buildings. Not every organization will have that luxury, but it's a very cool system that they have in place. And then another last example that I found, PricewaterhouseCoopers has automatic contact tracing tool that notifies employees who have been in contact with another worker who tested positive for the virus. 
Very mm-hmm. cool. And some companies are deciding to move all or part of their workforces to a uh, total remote work environment. Nationwide has announced that it is closing five of its offices and having those employees work from home. Other employees will be back to work in office buildings as usual. Another company, REI, just sold its newly constructed headquarters campus and instead decided to decentralize with the intent being that uh, most of their non-retail employees um, would be able to work from home. Stripe, another company, actually offered a one-time $20,000 bonus to workers who would relocate to cities with a lower cost of living. And included in this offer is a 10% pay cut. Reddit, another tech company, offered permanent work from home uh, without adjusting their pay. And finally, Facebook, Twitter, and Square announced that they are permanently extending their current fully remote work policies. And these uh, fully remote workers are sometimes relocating to newer cities just to feel safe, uh, to save money, and uh, have a little more space now that they don't have to be uh, in their physical office space. Actually, our colleague Anne just wrote a blog on this topic on the importance of defining what work from home actually means, and then if people relocate the state benefit laws to consider. So we will throw that link into the show notes if you're interested in reading more about this ever-evolving topic. Yeah, it's really fascinating to me, the whole idea that people might just actually physically pick up and move and move somewhere. Maybe they've always wanted to move um, because now they can work from home. Like a yeah. workation for a couple months and temporary or even permanent, really. So, right. And next is the hybrid model where there is a mix of office and remote work. Maybe some teams are always office-based and other teams are remote. Maybe employees work three weeks per month at home and are in the office the fourth week of the month. Or maybe employees come into the office for a few days per week, maybe two or three, and then they work for the rest of the week remotely at home. Right now, it looks like this may be the more common approach as companies consider a return to the office. Hybrid allows for structure and social ability in the office while offering an independence and flexibility at home. So you get the water cooler talk, but then you also have the flexibility that perhaps you've grown accustomed to working from home. Here are what some employers have announced that they're doing. I found a couple examples. Microsoft is allowing most roles to remain remote less than half the time with manager approval. Sodexo has split their workforce into two teams where they switch off between office and remote work. German multinational company Siemens AG announced plans to implement a new permanent mobile work policy where it's 140,000 employees can work two to three days per week away from the office. And many companies will be embracing flexible spaces and schedules moving into the year. Just something that we'll definitely be watching. There's a lot coming out on these new approaches. Google seems to be making the most headlines um, on this hybrid model so far. Google has pushed its return to the office until September and is uh, testing allowing employees to work three days in the office uh, and the rest of the week at home. No company of their scale has ever created a fully hybrid workforce model. So the company wants to see if this would lead to greater productivity and employee well-being. One trend that we've been tracking, which would accompany the hybrid model, is something called office hoteling. This arrangement allows workers to work primarily from home 
but still reserve a cubicle when they choose to work in the office. This results in a reduced need for cubicles and other resources in the workplace. I know my husband's company is doing this, so I'm really interested to see if it works for him and his colleagues. This isn't a new idea completely, but this does seem to be an idea that's seeing a resurgence because of what's been going on. And interestingly, as we were prepping for this episode, I saw a quote from an expert on remote work who stated that long-term remote work can only be successful if all employees are remote. Now, in his opinion, having a mix of remote and in-office work could negatively impact business efficiency, productivity, and company culture. It seems like we are living in this like really huge social experiment right now, and time will tell what is going to shake out. You can definitely be sure these are trends that we will be tracking moving forward. So we've uh, been talking about return to the office actions that employers are taking, all with an eye on maintaining productivity while also making uh, worker safety a huge priority. That's right, Justin. One big topic on everyone's mind, of course, is employee vaccinations. The big questions are, can employers require that their workers get vaccinated? And will they? What might these programs look like? Great timing. The foundation has been hosting community meetup events for its members, just a virtual chat to bounce ideas around. And we had um, one on this topic in January. And employers are absolutely concerned about vaccine implications on the workplace. We also had a webcast on this topic on January 27th. So the first question that's probably on everyone's mind is, uh, can an employer require that their workers get vaccinated? The short answer is yes. The EEOC released guidance that employers can, for the most part, require their workers to get vaccinated. In addition, employers may ask workers for proof that they've done so. However, employers must accommodate workers who may object due to existing medical conditions or religious beliefs. Also, asking for proof for why someone doesn't get a vaccine could trigger ADA concerns. We've been hearing about proposed legislation at the state level. Some bills are calling for state to make getting the vaccine mandatory. Other bills are designed to prevent state and local governments and businesses from mandating the vaccine. A few surveys have shown that 5% or fewer employers are requiring the vaccine. So while most employers are not requiring it, a large majority are, quote, strongly encouraging their workers to get vaccinated. That said, most employers have indicated that they won't require their employees to show documentation that they've received the vaccine before they can step back into the office. Yeah, that's right, Julie. It looks like many employers want their workers to get vaccinated, uh, but are stopping short of the requirements Uh, for fear of backlash. Others feel such a mandate may not fit with their company culture. There is some discussion about whether imposing a mandate might require negotiations with a union if the company has a unionized workforce. Yeah, so here are a couple uh, examples of what employers are doing. To start, the grocery chain Kroger, which serves 11 million customers per day, is encouraging vaccination, but is noncommittal about requiring the shots once they are widely available. We came across some informal survey data from the Charlotte Observer. 
Only 5% of North Carolina businesses plan to mandate the vaccination in order to work in person, according to a survey of about 500 businesses conducted this month by human resources groups in the state. About 45% said that they wouldn't require a vaccination and then the rest were undecided. So Akron, Ohio area hospitals are reportedly not requiring COVID vaccine for workers, but reportedly many of their employees are getting the shots. Other companies that considered but rejected a mandate are Chipotle, Facebook, CVS Health, and Verizon Communications. Emerson Electric Company considered requiring all of their 90,000 employees to get the vaccine, but then they ultimately decided that a mandate wasn't in line with their company's culture and would cause unneeded blowback from the press and from their workers. So instead, Emerson plans to reward employees who get vaccinated and place activity limits on those who don't. They are considering a contribution to workers' 401k retirement accounts or gift cards to spend at local businesses. And then those who don't get the shot won't be able to travel or attend company events that include gatherings. So there we see Emerson using a combination of incentives and disincentives, both the carrot and the stick approach to motivate their workers into getting vaccinated. And Dollar General just announced it will pay its workers for four hours of work if they get the vaccine. They will ask workers to check a box verifying that they've received the vaccine, but they won't ask to see a vaccination card or other proof. For me, much of this discussion sounds similar to uh, discussions surrounding uh, employer-sponsored wellness initiatives, uh, like a walking program or even more specifically uh, flu shot programs. Often workers are not required to participate, uh, but are given some incentives, either in the carrot or stick form, as Anne had mentioned. Some ways that employers can encourage vaccination of their workforce is including sharing the benefits of receiving the vaccine. Another good idea, which takes on that wellness approach as well, is that company leaders can set an example. Your CEO can make an announcement that they're getting the vaccine because they feel that it's safe and it's beneficial for the organization. Yeah, that communication from the top we always see is so effective for organizations. And I think the key phrase here is strongly encourage. That's right. So to sum up a refrain that we've been saying and hearing for a while now, much of this is still unknown. So stay tuned. We'll be following this topic and sharing information with the benefits community through our Word on Benefits blog, our today's headlines daily email for members, benefits magazine and our various web resources pages that is right and uh planning for this episode gave me a lot to think about and speculate on as it relates to the future of work i'm sure these ideas and concerns are bouncing around for many people particularly employers there's a lot of moving pieces but we all made it through 2020 so really there's nothing we cannot do right now Yes, we are unstoppable, even if we are part of a giant social experiment, as Julie suggested. (laughs) We certainly appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear any questions, best practices, or thoughts from you on what you've been doing for returning to the workplace. Reach out to us at any time by emailing podcast at ifbvp.org. That is right. And speaking of appreciating our listeners, I just want to give a shout out to Amanda Wilkie, and the Foundation's Information Specialist uh, for their work on this episode and um, all the work that they do for our organization as a whole. Their work is our highest rated member service and one that you can utilize uh, through a foundation membership. So again, thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. 
If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all the International Foundation has to offer at ifebp.org. Our show is hosted by Justin Held, Ann Patterson, and me, Julie Stick. Produced by Rose Pleba and Stacey Van Alstyne, and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2021 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, all rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. And can you also move your device a little bit closer to to sure. you? Sure, sure, sure. The survey covers a lot, but oh, gosh, I'm going to just, because I moved that, things are unplugging. Oh, sorry. This episode's really off to such a great start. <laughs> I unplug my landline. I'll be right back. <laughs> sorry, then I just remembered my, my cell phone wasn't muted. I'm, I'm a mess today.